Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm Marcello Rolando, your host, The Reasonable Voice. But I want to explain simply because occasionally people ask, and I haven't said this in a while, the Reasonable Voices radio show is V-O-I-C-E-S, because it's not something I possess, but rather our guests are people who are facing challenges, mysteries, uh, life, and yet they remain reasonable and rational in their responses, and that's why I seek them out. And today, one of the reasonable voices out there is Chicago policeman Mark. And first of all, Mark, how are you? And welcome to the show. I am well, Marcello. Thanks for asking, and thanks for having me on. Oh, it is my pleasure. Mark and I, as as with many of my guests, have not met. And as far as I know, although I know a lot of policemen, I don't think I've ever spoken to a Chicago policeman before. So, a little about Chicago and the mayor and and the president, just a little, not to get you in trouble. What's what's happening, in your opinion? Well, just to, to clear things up a bit, I'm fortunate in my mind. I actually work in the suburbs of Chicago, uh-huh. so I, I have it out in the area that does not make any headlines. <laughs> things are pretty nice and quiet every day, but Chicago itself is still a fantastic city. Mm. It does have its problems and its... You know, neighborhoods that aren't necessarily the best, but for the most part, it's very safe to travel to. There's very nice people there, so we welcome anybody that wants to come to Chicago to check out the lakefront. And you're talking to a New Yorker, and I tell you, and I would say that I say the same thing. We say we only hear the headlines about New Yorkers and uh, uh, being unfriendly. I think New Yorkers are some of the friendliest people I've ever met. Anyway, okay, we love where we live, and we have other things in common, so we're going to get to that. Mark is not an actor, as far as I know, but he was featured in a film, a documentary, if you will, entitled Apparition Hill. Now, those regular listeners know I've, um, I think back in November 2016, I spoke with the director of Apparition Hill, Sean Bloomfield. And um, since then, I've spoken to one of its producers, Samela Kodanikus. 
and 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 in each conversation, I was told this documentary, Apparition Hill, is about seven people, seven strangers who meet and make this pilgrimage, if you will, to investigate uh, the claims that the Virgin Mary appeared to a young group of children on June 24, 1981, in Metajori. Now, that's where we start. Mark was one of those people featured in this documentary. And Mark, why don't we start with when did you first go? How many times have you gone since and why? How's that? Samela gave me some things she wanted me to ask you, but I, <laughs> but I'm going to, I'm going to go with um, I think I'm well. First of all, I'll make a confession. How's that? I'm Roman Catholic, and um, right. I have been to Lourdes and have been to Nevers and have been to uh, Fatima. And Samela wants me to go to Medjugorje. Um, I do to right. pronounce it better when I'm not looking at how it's spelled. Medjugorje. Thank you so much. Yeah. Mark. Well, so I have been to such places as a Roman Catholic and probably uh, respond to them as your wife would, although I have gone more than once as a journalist, so there was a lot of running around and taking pictures and trying to get interviews, but at night, uh, particularly in Lourdes, I became uh, there for spiritual reasons. What now? Let's talk a little bit about this contest um, from your point of view. I, I know I've heard from Sean and from uh, Samela, but you you entered a video, is that it? And you gave and in this video you gave your reasons why you should be chosen or cast, if you will, to be in this documentary, Apparition Hill. Is that how it worked? Uh, for most people, that is how it worked. My position is unique in that my wife submitted an entry on my behalf <laughs> and made, made the appeal for why her uh, heathen husband should be uh, picked to go to Medjugorje. I think uh, Sean, and at that point, I don't know if Samilla was on board, but whoever Sean and his advisors were mm -hmm. uh, thought my angle could be interesting mm. as a uh, police officer. So they followed up with me later, and I then submitted my own video just so they could see who I am, mm -hmm. make sure I'm comfortable talking on camera and that kind of stuff. So I submitted a video. Uh, all the video entries had to attain a certain number of votes to be considered, mm -hmm. and luckily I had enough people vote for me, and I was then picked from there. Mm -hmm. Probably had someone praying very hard for you to go, too, if I... Yeah. <laughs> is I, the feeling I, I get. 
Well, tell her hello for me. <laughs> I uh, um, well, since you are saying this, I'll, I'll say this. I'm, I have less of an excuse, even, but I'm Roman Catholic, and for the longest time, I didn't think certain beliefs in saints and whatever were necessary. It's not that I didn't believe in saints. I certainly believed in the Virgin Mary, but I I didn't believe I needed go-betweens. And I think that's my penance. I've said this to people before, because when I visited these places uh, and how I was sort of directed to go there is quite a story. But I've told that before. I won't take up your time on that. But how were the the other people? How was your relationship with these six other strangers? They each came with their own issues, let's say, their own challenges, uh, their own expectations. Uh, Surely you did, too, or... What what did you expect, and what did you see from the other people? We're talking about the journey now, not the destination. Right. Well, I would say, first off, to hit on something you just hinted upon, one of the things the movie does so well, and this is a testament to the good choices they made in taking people, mm-hmm. with seven different people, you have seven very different personalities. Yes. And those personalities that were on this trip are so easy for people to identify with. For instance, to me, I could call you Jill instead of Marcello. Mm -hmm. You are in Jill's shoes. Jill had made the conversion from Mennonite to Catholic. Mm -hmm. And in her entry video, she said, she held up a picture of the Virgin Mary and said, hi, I'm Jill. I don't know what to do with Mary. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I don't know how she fits into things. I, I, I just, she hadn't quite made sense of it yet. And then for people to claim that they see the Virgin Mary, she found that even more unusual. Mm-hmm. So she had been at a place where, yeah, she knew that she was comfortable in going to, you know, God with her problems. Mm-hmm. But how Mary or other saints fit into the big picture is mm-hmm. something that she had trouble untangling for a while. And you see that in the film where she talks about being on African Hill and saying there's all of these people crowded around the statue of Mary. Mm-hmm. But there's nobody over at our Lord because mm-hmm. there's a crucifix of Jesus, you know, yes. 30 yards away. Yes. So for her, it was just making sense of all that um, and how that then changed her. And then you've got Ryan who struggles with addiction. And in this day and age in this country, we all know somebody that has struggled with addiction. Yes. Whether it's a family member, a friend, or a neighbor. It's pervasive in our society. So seeing the struggles that he goes through, we all know somebody like that. Mm. We all know people like Pete and I that on our own spiritual journeys or lack thereof just aren't quite sure of things and where we're at in this mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Um, we unfortunately all know people that have suffered from cancer. Mm. So to see Holly, you know, in her battle with cancer, yes. Daryl with, with ALS, I mean, every single one of the people on this trip represents a pair of shoes from somebody of our own life. Yes. So in that way, it really resonates with people in a way that's unusual for, you know, media to do. Mm -hmm. It becomes very personal. It's a very visceral experience for the viewer, and I think that's what makes the movie special. And as we went, the other thing, of course, Pete and I were interesting to see is what would the dynamic be between some very spiritual people and two very non-spiritual people mm-hmm. in a place that is based upon spirituality. Yes. So as luck would 
have it. Uh, it turned out to be just a fantastic group of people. We were able to have some excellent dialogue, um, debating without there being, you know, hurt feelings or insults or anything mm-hmm. like that. We were able to just have a great time expressing ourselves and our opinions in, in healthy ways and building stronger bonds between us because of it. It was just a really, really neat experience. And, and something I wish Americans could get back to as a whole uh, is there's an art, a beauty to uh, communication, to being able to debate without rancor, to, to be able to listen to the other person's point of view and then present your point of view. And then, you know, there's the old, you know, you can agree to disagree, but at least you've, you've discussed it. Uh, it's beautifully put, Mark. Um, Respectful discourse is essential to a society that's open to views. That's something that we have to have. Excellent. Yes. Okay. You've gotten us to the destination. Take us through, because this is not the kind of questions I asked of Sean or uh, Samelas, but I want to ask you, because you are the the test. You you know what I mean? They're there to make a movie to see what if we put these people, these seven strangers together with their different... Uh, POVs, what, and we're going to film it. What happens in this very special place? Uh, children claim on June 24th, uh, 1981, the Virgin Mary appeared. So there you are. You get off the bus after flying over, um, and where do you stay? I, I don't mean necessarily the name of a hotel, but is there a hotel? This was in communist hands there for a while. Um, what sort of accommodations, and do you all go as a group, or do you go individually to the area? You you take it up wherever you wish. We all met in Zurich, uh-huh. in Switzerland. Uh-huh. That's where our different flights led us to, and at the airport there is the first time most of us saw each other outside of seeing our faces on videos on the internet. Mm-hmm. So from Zurich, we then flew into Split, Croatia, which uh-huh. is a coastal city on the Adriatic. Yes. We then loaded into a van, and from there headed off into the mountains and made the trip to Medjugorje, which, if I remember correctly, is probably a, roughly a two-hour drive. Wow. Arriving in Medjugorje, we stayed at a, it's a really nice hotel, mm-hmm. um, not far from Apparition Hill. So the first time we stayed at this hotel called the Two Hearts. Uh, the second time I went, we stayed with Mariana, who is one of the, the visionaries oh, yes. in yes. Medjugorje. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of different places to stay. Um, several of the visionaries have um, what are basically hotels attached to their uh, houses, mm-hmm. and they will host pilgrims. And they cook for you and give you a bed, and it's, the accommodations there are, are very nice. Mm. Come a long way from the very dilapidated area that had had been, you know, under a communist rule. And the massive number of pilgrims that have gone there, you know, in the last 30 plus years, um, has led to a lot of development in that area. So it's a nice place to stay. If you're a non-traveled person, you certainly would not end up with any issues um, as far as accommodations being vastly different than what you're used to at home. Mm -hmm. So... It's, uh, it's very nice in that regard. As we took the van to Medjugorje, the first 
you know, 30 minutes of the trip, we just marveled at the beauty of the Croatian coast, mm. uh, the Dalmatian coast, I believe as they call it. Mm-hmm. And we even stopped and, you know, took some pictures. You know, being from Illinois, the topography here is not something to yes. uh, brag about. So <laughs> <laughs> being somewhere like that was, uh, was, was really neat. And that's just how we started getting to know each other, you know, the conversations. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I need to take a step back. I skipped over something. Okay. And this is probably due to my, my sleep deprivation that, uh, from that night that I don't recall much. We actually did stay one night in Medjugorje. Uh-huh. And you'll see this in the film. Before we loaded into a van and headed up into the hills. Uh-huh. And the, Sean took us out uh, on, a, on a sailboat. We went out on the Adriatic. We had pizza. Uh-huh. And that's when we really first got to know each other. Say who we are, where we were from, and just talk about the experience of being there. Hmm. And after that, we went back, got a nice sleep, then loaded into the van. But, you know, you're still in those initial stages of getting to know other people. Yes. So we just, you know, everybody there was, you know, comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, we did. I don't think there were any true introverts in the group, so mm-hmm. it was very easy to be around each other. And when you're caught up in such a unique experience like that you know there's an energy there's an excitement yes uh, none of us had ever dreamed that we were going to be featured you know, in, in any form of film but yet there we were so from the very beginning the start it was everything was, was so well worked out so well between us and then once we got to Medjugorje we uh, split off into pairs and each of us had you know a roommate uh-huh. I think Sean wanted to see how things would work, putting a police officer with somebody that struggles with addiction. Mm. And uh, I told him, I'm like, that's, Sean, that's, it's fine. Addiction is not a label of good or bad. It mm-hmm. doesn't identify your character. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I said before, we all know people that struggle with addiction. Yes. And it can affect any of us. So, I mean, if you put me in a room with somebody of, you know, morally reprehensible character, then yeah, I might have an issue with that. Mm-hmm. But, Addiction doesn't define you. So Ryan and I actually got along quite well. And uh, he was my roommate. Pete and Rich roomed together. Mm-hmm. Jill roomed with, I believe, Jesse, who was one of the behind-the-scenes uh, mm-hmm. filmmakers. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we all we all got along great. So from the very beginning, things were good. All right, I tell you what, we're going to take a short break. Uh, we've sort of, in this segment, set the stage for... The journey, meeting people for the first time, uh, how Mark got involved, how everyone got involved through a video, although Mark's was produced by his wife initially anyway, which I love. When we come back, we're going to talk about what was experienced, what Mark saw, that is, of other people uh, experienced, or what Mark saw of anything, and then what Mark felt. I'm just giving him a heads up about that. and But stay with us. This is the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. And my guest today is Chicago policeman Mark, who was featured as one of the seven strangers on the mission to investigate the greatest paranoia mystery in the world. Stay with us. Now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. 
Teen angst is a well-worn topic in modern cinema. There's a good reason. An intriguing story geared to a younger audience has the potential to make a lot of money. But it's rare for a movie to pull off teen angst like The Kings of Summer, directed by Jordan Vote Roberts. As another school year dissolves into summertime, young Joe Toy is fed up with his single father's treatment and runs away from home. He recruits his best friend Patrick and local oddball Biagio to help him build a house in the woods where they are free to do as they please, away from the iron grip of parents. The Kings of Summer is as enduring and funny as it is legitimately affecting with beautiful cinematography reminiscent of Terence Malick. Crisp writing that captures the frustrations of our teen years and top-notch acting across the board. Everyone from bit players like real-life husband and wife Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally to the very talented three young leads brings their A-game to the film, making each scene lively and meaningful. A coming-of-age story that redefines the boundaries of the genre. This one is a must-see for film fans of any age. The Kings of Summer. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. My guest today is Chicago policeman Mark, who was featured in Apparition Hill, directed by Sean Bloomfield, produced by Stella Mar Films and Samela Kedanakis. I have interviewed Sean, the director, and I have interviewed Samela, uh, one of the producers, and now I'm talking to one of the seven strangers who met and experienced the Apparition Hill investigation, if you will. It's Mark, having made the trip now more than once, how has it if it has indeed at all, affected how your day-to-day work as a police officer in Illinois? Well, coming back, I didn't have any spiritual epiphanies um, in terms of my ideas of faith and spirituality. I didn't make progress on those. Mm-hmm. But what it did for me was it reaffirmed something that, uh, through my job, I already know, but something that I lose sight of, and I think we all lose sight of sometimes, which is, you know, we start to take life for granted. Mm. Being in Medjugorje with Holly, who I believe was 37 years old at the time of the trip, Holly has four children. I was the same age. I had two children. Number three was on the way Mm. while I was there. Mm -hmm. The only big difference between Holly and I is the fact that she had cancer, and Mm why that happens I mean it's who knows why I mean it can happen to any of us at any time Mm -hmm. so to me that was just such a good reminder of the fragility of life and to be grateful for what we have we let things cloud our vision you know bog us down that are really trivial when you step back and think about it Mm -hmm. but we lose sight of the bigger picture sometimes with these little things and since being back that's something that I haven't done and I don't think it's something that I'll ever do Holly almost didn't make the trip Mm. Um, she had a decline in her health and was in the hospital so Sean reached out to his uh, internet followers and said let's do a camera for the seven or nine day novena for Mm. Holly so people around the world started praying that she would recover and be able to make the trip oh wow and part of the novena was, was fasting 
So I thought, you know what, I'm part of this, so I should be going along. The prayer part isn't my strong suit, but I can certainly fast. Mm -hmm. So I fasted. You know, Pete, the other non-believer, he also fasted. You know, we're all kind of in this together. And after the fasting was over, and Holly luckily did improve enough to be able to make the trip, I had thought, I'm going to give up something forever. Mm. I'm going to, you know, just to remind me that I have things lucky. I don't know what, but something I like, I'm just going to give up forever. Mm. But then after going and talking to Holly and meeting everybody else, I changed. I thought, instead of giving up something I like forever, Mm -hmm. depriving myself of life's pleasures, I'm going to eat things that I don't like. Mm. So, for instance, I can't stand tomatoes. Hmm. never like tomatoes. Ubiquitous tomatoes. Everywhere you go, you can find tomatoes on your hamburgers, your sandwiches, your salads. Yes. Mm -hmm. I used to order them without tomatoes. I now eat tomatoes. I now eat onions. And my thing is, it reminds me every time I'm doing that, that this little thing that I don't like is not a big deal. And I can Mm -hmm. do that. And not to lose sight of, again, the bigger picture. That I'm lucky enough to be here eating a tomato. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. So for me, the reminder hasn't left, and I think if I continue to do that, it'll help keep me grounded, and I'll never really lose sight of that, or at least so I hope. You know, as as a person, um, as I think you've described yourself, a non-believer, a non-spiritual person, why do you go back? Why do you make return trips? It's a, uh, a neat place to vacation to. Uh-huh. <laughs> the example that I give... And like I mentioned before, here in the Midwest, we, we don't have a lot in terms of t- topography. It's mm-hmm. extremely flat. I am surrounded by cornfields. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can find some beauty in that, but it's not the same as being in a you know, hilly and mountainous area. Yes. My wife's grandfather lives in Scotland, in the Highlands. Oh, wow. And gone there to visit twice. And I love it. I love going out, what they call hill walking, mm-hmm. where you can just take trails up to the tops of these mountains. Being out there in nature and away from things, for me, is very therapeutic, mm-hmm. and it's just very enjoyable. And for me, Medjugorje is very much the same. When you go up Apparition Hill or Cross Mountain, you know, you're out for a hike. And it's also neat to meet a people person, so meeting the people on these trips have been uh, very rewarding for me. I have a lot of new friendships because of it. Mm. So for me, I can go along and go on these trips and still take a lot away from it. And when I tell other people, you know, say you have spouses where one may be, you know, a believer and one a non-believer, mm-hmm. because of that very reason that shouldn't prevent people from going, you know, if one doesn't believe. Mm-hmm. And... I tell people all the time at screenings for Apparition Hill, to me, it's not even about apparitions. Mm-hmm. You can forget about any aspect of anything uh, supernatural going on there. It's not required. If you are a person of faith, particularly Christian or Catholic, mm-hmm. it gives you an opportunity to live your faith while you're there. Every day is based on what time is Mass today? Mm. Is there adoration today? Mm. And everything else around that is how your day is decided. There's no TV in your hotel room, mm-hmm. so that eliminates the distraction. There are signs that say this hotel has Wi-Fi. Don't believe those signs. It's not very good <laughs> Wi-Fi. So 
you really get disconnected from the distractions of everyday life. Mm-hmm. And when everything you do is based upon living your faith, it's a way for people spiritually to reconnect. Mm-hmm. So those that hold that near and dear to their heart, uh, Jill calls it a retreat on steroids. I think mm-hmm. that's probably the best mm-hmm. explanation for it. <laughs> it gives them something that they can experience. And if you're not a believer, they've got uh, excellent cheap beer and great pizza and stuff like that that you can do. But just again, being out in nature and away from things to me is, is, is a neat experience and that's why I like to go back. And it, you know, as I listen to you, the the connection is what we've been talking about all along. And I think that's what we're hearing here. When we are away from the noise of the world, whatever we call it, that appreciation of nature, that reconnection with uh, ourselves as a solo, and then people around you with similar but not necessarily the exact motivation for being there. We are communing with nature and each other. So, you know, Samela, I don't want to put you on the spot, but Samela asked me to ask you if you would tell us the seventh anniversary story? Sure, of course. So as I said earlier, my wife, being the very devout Catholic, um, wanted me to go to Medjugorje from before we were even married. She had heard stories. She had known people that have gone there and experienced very profound things. Uh, her mother had been there and had an excellent trip. Um, she's read books on it. So she was hoping that my going to Medjugorje could, you know, lead to a conversion. Mm. So while we were getting married, you know, in church during the Mass, when she went over to a candle and said a prayer, her prayer was that I would be going to Medjugorje someday. Mm. That is what her her, her desire was. Mm-hmm. So fast forward a little bit and she finds out about this contest and enters me into the contest mm-hmm. and I'm lucky enough to be picked. So pack up my bags and go to Medjugorje. And there it is. The day that I left for Medjugorje, mm-hmm. uh, the flight was on our wedding anniversary, seven years to the day wow. from when she made that, that prayer. Wow. So. That's, a, that's a beautiful story. Samela told me I would love it. So much about Apparition Hill is about the individual response, whatever that happens to be. And that's why I'm really enjoying this conversation with you, Mark. Uh, uh, There are just so many levels in which uh, Apparition Hill affects people, both its film and the experience there. Tell me, what do you take away most? What do you want to share most after such visits? I personally take away most is, I won't be surprised by this, is the interactions with the people. For me, not only was it a unique opportunity to go as an atheist and to interact with Catholics and show that, hey, guess what? Just because I'm atheist doesn't mean I'm calling for the downfall of your church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I, I appreciate your, your faith. Just because I don't get it doesn't mean I expect you to not get it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and through that, demonstrating that 
we can all get along. I mean, ultimately, the goal here is to be the best person that you can be. Yes. And for me, I do that, you know, sans faith. Well, other people, that's part of how they do things. Mm-hmm. So being able to do that, I mean, it's funny. I was just at a, uh, a marketing conference with Sean, Samilla, and Jesse. And when Samilla introduced me as the atheist to one woman, or actually, I think it was Jesse, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, she actually recoiled a little bit you know her shoulders went back and she like Whoa. kind of leaned back a little bit um i know she was afraid lightning was going to strike <laughs> but to be able to be out there and kind of uh show that hey you know i don't represent you know everything that richard dawkins says about you know non-belief um we can all get along just fine together so for me going there the connections i've made with people and particularly when I went for the filming as a reminder of being thankful for life. You know, that's what I took away from it. Mm -hmm. Did you feel any pressure from anyone that you needed to have some sort of spiritual awakening? Uh, I wouldn't say direct pressure. Uh, I'm sure Sean as a filmmaker um, at the time probably really wanted something like that to happen. But Mm -hmm. I bet if you ask him now, I bet he'd tell you it's probably good that nothing happened mm. because I think it adds credibility to the film. Yes. Uh, it's not like we went there and we all came back vastly changed and different and, you know, it's this magical place. So for me, yeah, it's, it's not something that really, I don't think, changed me and my personality to the very core. Mm-hmm. But seeing how it affects other people going there, I, I still think makes it something special. It is what it is for them. Yes. You know, Rich, being the strong spiritual person that he was and wanting to go there for so long, I mean, you get some really good reactions from Rich, Mm -hmm. uh, both before he went, when they were filming him, and while he was there, seeing the importance of uh, going there on his spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. So for everybody, it, it is so individual and so different and so unique. But that's, I think, part of what makes it, you know, so so special. Is, yes. You, know, you can you can go there, and it will speak to you individually. Yes, and that is uh, that to me is the greatest message that it's it uh, people see and feel and experience what they need. I was on a trip that was uh, in Germany, and the, probably the furthest thing away from. Uh, ending up in Lourdes, but I went out walking on my own. I spoke a little German, not much. A little old lady invited me into her house, and she brought out this beautiful photograph, and it was of Bernadette, St. Bernadette. And I suddenly became interested, and between her German and my English, or flipping back and forth, I ended up in Lourdes, and there were many experiences. I saw people pushing and shoving to get to the holy water, which, and I experienced that the the grotto would close at midnight, and, and the hotels would too, and I would stay until the very last minute and run as fast as I could to get back before they locked the doors, and the manager seeing me the third night said, where are you coming from? And I said, Lord, I try to stay as long as I can, and he said to me, don't run. I will always be here to open the door for you. So right. it's a gamut of uh, things to, that we feel. We're talking with uh, Illinois police officer Mark about his experiences at Apparition Hill, about his loving wife, 
<laughs> who makes videos of him and sends him off around the world to to see and find, discover uh, what whatever there is there for him. But I think the overall message, Mark, you tell me, is that learning to meet strangers, know them as people, as equals, uh, with their own crosses to bear, some might say, their own issues, their baggage, whatever term you want to use, and to find that when we start talking and listening to one another, we're all on this journey doing the best we can. You take us out, Mark. What What are your thoughts overall on this? I would say, you know, that's exactly right, what you just said. You know, we're all in it together. Yeah. And, you know, if we love each other as people, the message really is love, and then respect differences, then the world would be a better place. Mm. You know, it's if we could just get back to that, then we wouldn't have the problems that we have right now in this world. So... That's what I liked about going. That's what I liked being around these people for. And it's been such a neat experience to be, you know, part of this and have it chronicled, you know, mm-hmm. as, as a documentary film. And people like, uh, for instance, Daryl, who I didn't go to Medjugorje with the first time, mm-hmm. he had to go separately for his filming. Um, just having ALS and having the restrictions that he had yes. uh, would have been a little too hard on the, the filmmakers to try to Officer Mark from Illinois, we're going to have to run, but we do want to mention a few things. Thank you so much for being our guest. We have been talking about Apparition Hill. It's now out on DVD and Blu-ray. The website is www.apparitionhill.com. It also can be reached on the web at apparitionhill.org. Backslash. Facebook is at Apparition Hill Movie and Twitter at Metajoria Live. And that's spelled M-E-D-J-U-G-O-R-I-E Live. I think I've covered uh, most of it. Did I leave out anything? I guess we should remind people it's directed by Sean Bloomfield 
and produced by John and Samela Kidonicus. And it features seven people whose lives have been touched and who go out and touch others. I think that's safe to say. Uh, yes, Mark? Okay. Well, thank you, Mark, for being on the show. I appreciate your time and all the best to you and your wife and your children and uh, and your re- return trips to Metagoria. Okay? All right. Thanks, Marcello. Thank Thanks you. for having me on. My pleasure. Bye now. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. In 1971, the U.S. was still deeply entrenched in the Vietnam War. The Beatles had just broken up, and a man had walked on the moon. But deep in the Australian outback, the setting of Nicholas Rogue's walkabout, life went on as it always had. The wind riled the sand, and insects came to claim what they could conquer. Two young siblings find themselves lost in the desert after their father had tried to kill them while on a family picnic. They walk for days, still in school clothing, until their skin is scorched and their hair is wild. It's hard not to think of Hansel and Gretel approaching the witch's candy house. Instead, they meet an aboriginal boy, David Gulpalil, on his tribe-mandated walkabout, a rite of passage in which he must survive alone in the desert. The children have occasional glimpses of civilization. An exploitative folk art operation, for instance, is just over the horizon. But with no common language, they can't explain to their companion that they want to be found. Or do they? Walkabout offers a welcome perspective on survival. In watching the children swim and spit-roast meat, we begin to question our own cultural values and wonder what life would be like apart from what we know. Walkabout. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. We hope you enjoyed the Indie Film Minute. Visit us at IndieFilmMinute.com to share your thoughts, suggest films, or even to submit your own review. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the Reasonable Voices heard round the world. Murderers Row. Hate. Ignorance. Lying. Labeling wars like movie sequels makes them endearing and enduring for those who sow the tools of constant conflict, hate, ignorance, and lies that take lives. Instilling hate to camouflage fear in order to exploit ignorance is war finely tuned to murder reasonable thought, visionary choices, intelligent compromise, and human decency, doing unto others as we would have them do unto us, whether red state house hate or unvaccinated family home ignorance, every day in every way, we are lied to by liars far more damaging than a Brian Williams gaming it to praise a veteran. So let's suspend the lies of Scott Walker's evolution, Bobby Jindal's no-go zones, Supreme Court Chief Justice Roy Moore's Alabama right to overrule both federal judicial system and the United States Constitution, freeing him and Sam Brownback to blow off Americans, marrying whomever they wish to, I do. Governor and chief offer con job with hands-on anti-LGBT legalese. Early birds do it. 
Late night bees do it. Even news watching veterans do it. Let's do it. Let's suspend all those who suspend truth, whether with an empty political convention chair or a drunken VP hunting facial. From the ridiculously obvious lack of lucid factual content of vacant and sometimes vile Fox News to early morning glitz with little substance today show, hyperbole like TV anchors and congressional warmongers come in all institutional media and hairstyles. But perhaps none more murderous than presidential lies, Tonkin Gulf and WMDs, which snuffed out American lives as scurrilously as a beheading ISIS terrorist. Ignorance of the facts transforms us into gullible, platitude-spouting mobs blindsided by corporatism's bottom line like Target, CVS, Walgreens, Walmart overcharging, pharmaceuticals, statin lies, doctors, cholesterol lies, grown-up little league lies, sporting lying as the breakfast of champions. Armed with short-term memory, we are programmed straight shooters justifying national atrocities with Tomcats grandstanding on anti-veteran suicide bill vote and get-more detainees can rot in hell. Despite our history of slavery, lynching, waterboarding, intentional coal ash dumping, and indifference to oil spill environmental hazards, we maintain the right of outrage at burning people alive, while not permitting ourselves to deny our duplicity in a Middle East future and our prejudicial past. To both paraphrase and embellish the blatant honesty of FBI Director James Comey, our intra-American cultural melting pot won't mix into a mutually beneficial delicacy by simply seasoning it with body cameras on uniforms without name tags. Our past imbalance need not diminish our future prologue. For example, all-inclusive qualitative education without debtor's prison, equal justice without police brutality, equal pay without gender bias equal opportunity without state-manipulated discrimination, freedom from rebirthing a nation of Alabama, Arkansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, Texas, and Virginia, restricting voting privileges, political redistricting, lynching our electoral process with Citizens United. The death knell for Kayla Mueller, Chris Kyle, the three Chapel Hill, North Carolina Muslim students, the two assassinated New York City police, Raphael Ramos and Wen Jian Liu, the killing of Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Eric Garner, and Tamir Rice, all are the residue of humanity's historical roots in hate and ignorance, personified by enduring lies passed along to our children and grandchildren, denying what we fear most, differences. Yet, Besides boards whose companies benefit from the sale of war munitions, most Americans don't want perpetual war. Not even filibuster flip-flopper Mitch McConnell, immigration tea-potted John Boehner, nor hypocrite Lindsey Graham, for only corporatism profits from perpetual war. President Obama's three-year war powers cut-off limits whatever mess he can leave behind. Nonetheless, whatever this chess player in chief's next Middle East move, one truth is clear. 
America needs to stop lying to itself about Muslims, Arabs, Sunni, Shia, or the Middle East. Instead, let's accept our ignorance on the subject and educate our way out. Knowing both ISIS and American corporatism thrive on our ignorance and on the booty of unending war. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.